Good evening, church. Uh, as we begin our time together tonight, I want to ask that you open with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Tonight we'll be journeying uh, through verses 7 through 13. Uh, if you don't have a Bible tonight, uh, there should be one available to you in the pew in front of you. And uh, if you don't own a copy of the Scriptures, we have some of those available out front, so be sure to pick one up on your way out. We'd love to gift that to you. We believe that uh, everyone should own a copy of the Scriptures, and even more importantly than that, uh, be able to study the Scriptures together with someone who is trusting and following Jesus. And so uh, if that's something you'd be interested in, we'd love to talk about that as well and connect you with someone in our body to help you um, perhaps begin a journey through the Scriptures, begin learning about Jesus. Um, but tonight, as we open the Word, we're coming to Mark chapter 6, um, verses 7 through 13. Almost three years ago, uh, I was living uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas area, and I had the opportunity to participate in an in-town mission trip experience. Uh, over the course of a week, we opened the scriptures and studied them intently, looking to see what it was that Jesus said and did, and beyond that, what he instructed or commanded his disciples to do. We asked the question as we studied these things, what of these can we do today? And then we set out to do them. We entered into neighborhoods and communities all throughout the city. Uh, we met people that we didn't know, and we get engaged them in spiritual conversation by asking a simple question. If God could do a miracle in your life, what would it be, and can we pray for that? And as we met people and engaged them with this question, uh, people uh, began to open up to us, strangers. Uh, and share with us sometimes very intimate uh, details of their life, oftentimes, sometimes even inviting us into their homes to, to share with us as we had the opportunity to share with them. We had the opportunity to, to pray for people who were in dire financial needs, uh, who uh, were sick. We got a chance to pray that the sick would be healed. Uh, we prayed for people who, who felt like they heard voices that told them to harm themselves or that they were unloved or unwanted. Uh, we prayed for neighbors and neighborhoods. We prayed for people's family and people's friends. And ultimately, we prayed that people would receive peace with God that only comes through Jesus Christ. By simply engaging people and asking a question like, if God could do a miracle in your life to meet a need, and can we pray for that? People shared with us, and that gave us a platform to begin to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We called them to repent and to believe this good news about Jesus. And even though many who we met and had those conversations with, they didn't receive Jesus, or they just kind of said they, they maybe weren't ready to, there were some who did. What struck me in the weeks that followed was how I had, I had personally never as a disciple of Jesus set out to intentionally engage lostness in this way. And if you would have told me before going into this experience what myself and so many others who engaged in this, in this process, what we would experience, I, I probably honestly would not have believed that things would go the way they went if you would have told me ahead of time. I found that the timeless truths, the, the principles, and the commands of Scripture were not only for me to try and work out and apply to my personal life, but these, these timeless truths, these commands, these principles were to be fleshed out in my life as I responded to obedience, uh, responded to Jesus in obedience as his ambassador. Well, tonight as we come to the text, our passage 
this evening, although short, is one such instance where we find Jesus calling and sending his disciples. And I believe we need to to be attentive to ask ourselves the question tonight as we look at this text, what of these things can we do today in obedience to Jesus? It's not just that these things were were happening 2,000 years ago, but what what of these things can we do today in order to obey Jesus? As we've journeyed through Mark's account of the life and ministry of Jesus so far, I can't help but feel like we've been, we've been ascending a hill, like there's, there, there's been this gradual building, and we're not, we're not done yet. There's still more to go. But as we think about all that we've, we've heard and seen of Jesus since he appeared on the scene, I want us to, to think about if we were there watching it unfold, if we were in the place of the disciples even then. These are some of the things that we've experienced so far, and they were there to experience many of these things. Jesus was baptized, and the Spirit of God visibly descended upon him like a dove, and the Father verbally, publicly affirmed him, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He officially began his ministry by declaring that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. He called his first disciples and declared that he would make them fishers of men if they would follow him. He demonstrated his authority, his, his what I like to call kingdom authority over, over unclean spirits by, by casting a demon out of a man in the synagogue. He demonstrated the same kingdom authority over sickness and demonic oppression by healing Simon's mother-in-law and many others who were, who were being brought to him with various diseases and illnesses. He He emphasized the importance of the kingdom's gospel message by continuing to teach throughout all the various towns and regions around him. He cleansed a leper and healed a paralytic while at the same time declaring that that man's sins were forgiven, demonstrating his kingdom authority to even forgive sins. He showed his concern for all people by befriending sinners in Levi's house and said, declared that he didn't come for those who, who were well, but for those who needed a physician. He taught us how we can find our ultimate Sabbath rest in him because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He demonstrated his kingdom authority over sickness again when he healed a man with a withered, with a withered hand in the synagogue. He identified the 12 apostles and he called them to be with him but also that he would be able to send them out to preach the gospel. And we'll come back to this a little bit later. He, he clarified who he identifies with as family, and it's those who do the will of God. This, as we journey through Mark 4, this, this has been the most impactful for me, and I, w- I would imagine for the disciples also. But Jesus taught profoundly about the nature of the kingdom. How the condition of people's hearts play a dramatic role in how the word unfolds in their lives. That that all we can do as those who sow the seed of the word is to put it in the ground and trust that the word will do the work of transformation. He demonstrated his authority over nature when he calms the, the storm on the Sea of Galilee. He confronted a man with, filled with demons that no one before him could do anything about and demonstrated his kingdom authority by, by casting out a legion of demons out of this man. And then he commissioned him to go and tell everybody that he knew how much the Lord had done for him. He demonstrated his authority even over death by raising a little girl from the dead right after healing a woman who had been direly sick for over 12 years. And even after all of this, They saw, and we saw, 
how those in his hometown rejected him, all because they were too familiar with who he was and his upbringing. The disciples had been with Jesus for the vast majority of these happenings, but remember that in chapter 3, 14, verse 14, he appointed 12 to not only be with him, but to send them out. And this is the first thing that we see from this passage tonight, that Jesus sends those he calls. Jesus sends those he calls. The text says that he called the 12 and began to send them out. Those Jesus had called to follow him, to be with him, to learn from his teaching, and to see the power of God on display through him, he was now sending them out to proclaim the truth of who he was and the reality that the kingdom of God was at hand and people should repent. Some believe that Mark's articulation that he called the 12 and began to send them out means that, that he was just calling them together and giving them instructions and sending them out. I believe with others that this is a reference to his initial calling of them and the purpose for which he called them, which was to be with them so that he might ultimately send them out to demonstrate the kingdom's power. He was, he was giving them authority to cast out demon or to, to demons or to demonstrate the reality of the kingdom's power over darkness. You see, Jesus doesn't just call us to be with him. That's, why, that's what so many in the church today believe, that just being with Jesus is what the Christian life is all about. But that, that belies the teaching of Scripture. Yes, we're to abide in Jesus, as he says in John 15, but the end goal of our abiding is that we might bear fruit that remains ultimately to the glory of God. Just as Jesus called the 12 and intended to prepare them to continue his transforming kingdom work, by being with him, he so does the same with us today. You see, it's by being with Jesus that we, that we learn to hear his voice. It's by being with Jesus that, that we grow in our love and our affection for him. It's by being with Jesus that we begin to, to treasure him. It's by being with Jesus that we learn to love what he loves. But Jesus sends those who he calls. We might not feel ready to be sent when Jesus sends us. But the reality is the first time he sends us is only the first of many. Here the text says that he began to send them out. Up until now, the disciples were, were always with him. They were always watching him. They were always listening to him. But now Jesus begins to, to, to put them into the second phase of their kingdom learning experience. Up until this point, they had been spectators. Now it was time for them to engage in this kingdom work. There might be some of us today who have been with Jesus for quite some time and have sensed the, the nudging of the Spirit to, to step out in obedience, but, but we feel like we're not ready. We're, we're apprehensive. Just know that Jesus called you, yes, to be with him, but he also ultimately wants you to experience the joy of being used by him in continuing his kingdom work here on earth. So Jesus sends those he calls, but not only does he send those he calls, Jesus sends disciples in community. Jesus sends disciples in community. I see this in, in verse 7. It should not be overlooked that Jesus sent the 12 out two by two that he sent them in teams. I'm reminded of, of the wisdom from Ecclesiastes 4, which says, two are better than one. 
because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. This this screams in the face of our our isolated, individualistic, Western style of living. Some of us are hesitant to obey Jesus, perhaps because we feel that we're all alone. We're not. Jesus calls us into community, and he sends disciples in community. Ask anyone who has been so brave as to engage in a, in a short-term mission experience, whether stateside or perhaps even more dauntingly internationally, and they've done this by themselves. And I, I think you would, you would hear time and time again that the, the, most, the most stressful part of the endeavor was how alone or how isolated they felt. It's because Jesus doesn't send us out ourselves. Yes, he said that he would be with us until the very end of the age, but when Jesus calls us to himself, he calls us to community, and then he sends us out in community. One of the things that I love about the Hallows Church is that we are a network of missional communities that gather together weekly for corporate worship. And our desire to to magnify or to, to make much of the gospel and to multiply the gospel, we gather in smaller communities to study the scriptures and find meaningful ways to, to help each other apply the scriptures, the truth of scripture to our lives. Not only do we do that, but we engage in, in mission and in ministry together so that we can display the gospel both in word and in deed. But I'd love to see us move to to the place where we're engaging, and I've, I've said this to a couple of people here and there, where we're, we're engaging in a, in a two-by-two type of ministry, like we see here in the passage tonight. That as we journey together in community, I might be able to call a brother up to go with me as I have coffee or lunch or dinner with, with a friend, a neighbor, or a colleague to, with the intent to share the truths of the gospel with him. That I might call someone up to go with me to to, to shore me up where I, might, where I might need some help as I'm trying to articulate the gospel in a way that, that, that applies to their life or that makes sense. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm not articulating well, I might have a companion with me that can come alongside with me and help to clarify those things that I'm trying to say. We should strive for ways in which we can engage in ministry and mission together. Yes, in the context of our MCs, but I also believe on an even smaller level. When Jesus sends disciples, he doesn't send us alone. Jesus sends disciples in community. But Jesus also sends disciples with his authority. When Jesus sent the disciples, he also gave them his authority. This is the very authority that they had seen Jesus exercise to cast out unclean or demonic spirits that plagued people with sickness and infirmity that debilitated them from engaging in normal life's activities. Jesus gave the disciples his kingdom authority. Robert Stein in his commentary on Mark says says this, the authority of Jesus, as we see in chapter 1, verse 27, and chapter 2, verse 10, is such that he can even pass his own authority on to others. He does not have to pray for God to bestow such authority upon them. He can simply share his own authority. And this is just what he does. Now, was this the, was this the authority that they would need for the long haul, that, that Jesus would not have, to, not, not have to bestow any more authority on it? Probably not. 
Because we see later on in Mark chapter 9 that they're not able to to cast a demon or an unclean spirit out of a little boy that's having uh, what's been described as epileptic-like seizures. This tells us that this moment in Mark 6 was a temporary empowerment. It was a, a temporary bestowing of his authority. But the cross of Jesus makes it possible for, for us today to experience the fulfillment of the prophecy from Joel chapter 2, verse 28, that in the last days God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. And Jesus even tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that we would receive power, we would receive authority when the Spirit of God was to come upon us, and it would cause us to be his witnesses all the way to the very ends of the earth. As we study the Acts of the Apostles, we see all throughout that account, time and time again, how how the disciples are continuing Jesus' kingdom ministry here on earth, And that same authority has been given to us today. Jesus sends disciples with his authority. So we don't have to be afraid of where Jesus sends us because he's given us as his disciples the same authority to proclaim his kingdom and to see the captives set free. But the passage goes on to show us that Jesus sends disciples with specific guidance He sends them with specific guidance. Look with me, verses 8 through 9. It says here that he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and, and not put on two tunics. Now, I'll be the first to acknowledge that Jesus doesn't always particularly, isn't always particularly specific every time he sends us out. I think about uh, two and a half years ago or so, as I sensed or heard God's call for me to move to Seattle, uh, I didn't have every detail at the moment. All I knew is that I was to move my life, uproot my life, and move to Seattle as soon as possible. Uh, basically, that to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area long-term was not what I was supposed to do. But as I took small steps of obedience, God gave me clarity and showed me that this was the right way to go in, and he continued to provide for me until uh, I found myself in Seattle. However, I think there are moments when God or Jesus are, is very specific and clear about his instructions to us. I think about Noah in Genesis when he gave him the particulars, the specific instructions on how to build the ark. Not only how to build the ark, but how to gather all the animals that were supposed to be on the ark into the ark. I think about Abram in Genesis 12 when God calls him uh, and gives him a promise to make him a great nation. But the the instruction that he tells him is just to to leave his kindred, to leave his country and to go to a place where he's going to show him. I think about Moses and how God gave him the, the specific instructions of how to build the tabernacle. Think about David, how he gave him the instructions of how to build the temple, even though he wasn't the one to build it, but his son Solomon was. And here we find another instance of God in the flesh, Jesus, giving specific guidance to his disciples about how to go about kingdom ministry or mission. The text says that Jesus charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff and then specified what he meant by nothing. He said no bread. Why no bread? Because bread is, the, is perhaps the simplest and most basic and cheapest of foods that we could, we could pick up and travel with. But Jesus says, don't take any bread with you. 
He told him, don't take a bag. Uh, perhaps this could mean two different things. Uh, it could be a knapsack, kind of a, a travel bag where you can kind of tuck a couple of things that you think you're going to need for your journey, uh, pick up a bag, a knapsack, and throw some things in there and set off on your journey. Or it could be as simple as something much, much smaller and perhaps even much more practical if you're going to a place where you don't know anybody and more of a, of a beggar's bag so that uh, if, if you don't have any money, because Jesus goes on to tell them not to take any money, that you could at the very least stand on the corner and and ask for for people to give you money. You can beg for money. But Jesus tells them, don't take a bag. He goes on to say, no money in their belts. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't have any, any pockets on, my, on any of my belts. Maybe that's something that uh, is kind of a, a fashion fad in, in another place or something. But uh, usually when I'm putting money in my pockets, it's probably more than likely change. I put, uh, try to put the bills, but, you know, this day and age, we don't carry a whole lot of cash. But when I do have cash, I put the cash in my wallet. But I don't typically put change in my wallet. Well, when Jesus says don't take any money for their belts, what he's referring to is change. The smallest denomination of coins, perhaps essentially even pennies in their pocket. Jesus says, don't take any money in your belt. And then he instructs us not to take a second tunic. Uh, essentially a warm undergarment. I, I think about if I'm going to set off on a long journey, I'm not a hiker, I'm not a camper by any stretch of the imagination, but, but you want to layer up, I hear, I understand, depending on what time of year you're going. And so uh, as you go and you have your layers on, it, as it warms up, then you, you're able to take things off, but as it cools off, you're able to, to put more clothes on to keep yourself warm. But Jesus says, no, 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 don't take an extra tunic to even keep yourself warm. Robert Stein, this, this commentator, says the exclusion of normal travel needs and supplies, bread, bag, money, extra tunic, indicates that the disciples were to travel light. They were to proceed on their mission unencumbered, depending on the common hospitality practice in Israel at that time, which would provide lodging and food and eliminate the need for small change. And it would cause them to depend on God's providential care. Here's, here's the guidance Jesus gives. Here, the guidance Jesus gives is rather restrictive and perhaps even prohibitive. But it's to set up the disciples to realize the next thing that we see in the text. And it's this, that Jesus provides what is needed for those he sends. Jesus provides what is needed for those he sends. Jesus sends these men out in teams. He gives them authority. He tells them what not to take, all for the purpose of showing them how he will provide for their needs. I'm reminded of John 12, 26, uh, a verse that was very pivotal for me a couple of years ago, especially in my call to Seattle, where Jesus says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, I've said for a while, and I still haven't quite figured it out, exactly what it means that the Father will honor him. But I know it's a good thing. It essentially means that the Father will take care of those who leverage their life for the sake of service to Jesus. I don't think that it means that what's provided would be the picture of economic prosperity, but I also don't believe that it means that it will look like barely getting by. 
The promise is that there will be honor for the one who leverages their life for Jesus. And maybe that honor is not in this life, but it's in, in the life to come, in the kingdom that is to come. But I also think about Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus reminds or instructs his disciples to not be anxious about their lives. He tells us that we should not be anxious about our lives, what, we, what we'll eat, what we'll drink, or what we'll wear, which is essentially directly corresponding to the things that Jesus tells the disciples not to take on the journey. What he says, instead of being anxious about these things, realize that your heavenly father knows that you have need of all these things. But instead of being anxious about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear, instead seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And here's the promise. All these things will be given to you or added unto you. Jesus essentially prepares them for his providence when he says in the passage, whenever you enter a house, he says, stay there. Simply meaning that they don't have to worry about where they're going to sleep, what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, because Jesus will have it ready for them when they get there. He will have provisions for them. And I think this is a, a great principle for us tonight. We should realize so many times that we're hesitant to, to move forward in obedience to Jesus because we don't feel like we have everything we need. But I believe and I have experienced oftentimes the resources we need to accomplish the things Jesus calls us to, those resources are in the harvest. I don't have to wait and work and toil in order to have what I need in order to obey Jesus, sometimes Jesus tells me to go, and I have to trust that in going where he's sending me, the resources will be there. We can trust that Jesus provides what is needed for those that he sends. And lastly tonight, verses 11 through 13, I think we see here that Jesus accomplishes his purposes through those that he sends. Jesus accomplishes purposes through those he sends. We just saw last week that Jesus was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. It says that he could not do, he could do no mighty work there except for healing a few sick people. And it was because of their unbelief. I think it's important to realize that this happens right before Jesus sends the 12 out for the first time. They need the lesson of rejection before they would be fully prepared to be sent by him. And Jesus reinforces this lesson when he instructs them on what to do when they're not received or listened to. The reality that people reject the kingdom's message is nothing new. This has been true since the very beginning. Jesus says in John 3 that whoever believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, he goes on to say. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Jesus goes on to say, but whoever does what is true, he comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is why people reject the gospel message. 
and therefore the gospel messenger. When we go to proclaim the gospel and people don't receive the message that we proclaim, they're typically done with us. They don't receive the gospel because they loved the darkness. I mean, you think about it. If, if someone approaches you to, to sell you something, you have no, no context of relationship with them, or maybe, maybe it's a family member, or maybe it's a friend. Maybe they got into Amway or any of the other multi-level marketing schemes, and they want to they hook you in as a customer. The moment they offer you something that you don't want, you start to distance yourself from them. Like, we've got, we had a great relationship up until you tried to, like, pull me into this. Or, or you meet somebody and they try to sell you something. When you're not interested in what they're offering, we, we don't really feel like oftentimes there's much need of a relationship beyond that. You think about people that are far from Jesus that we long to see, come to know him, come to see their lives transformed by this powerful gospel message. They love the darkness more than the light. When they reject the message, they, they oftentimes will feel like they're done with you. But Jesus prepared the disciples for this, I think, first by showing them how he himself was rejected in his hometown, but then to giving them instructions as to what they were to do when they were rejected. I can only think that what gave these men consolation, and it should give us consolation, as they left those who rejected them, was remembering the parable of the soils. Remember, I said everything that we've, that we've learned, that we've encountered so far, has been building upon itself. Jesus is just now sending the disciples out for the first time. And as they go into towns and villages proclaiming the kingdom of God, essentially sowing the word, that word's going to fall on four different kinds of soil. And those soils represent the heart of people. And so when people reject them, the consolation that they have is, is that the soil is not ready. That we're going we're gonna to sow the seed, but we're going we're gonna to rest trusting that the word will do the work of transformation if it finds the right soil. That's the consolation that they have. That's the consolation that we have today. We strive to love and to serve people to the best of our ability, extending to them the grace that was extended to us. That grace that we found through the cross of Jesus Christ, demonstrating the gospel in both word and deed. And at the end of the day, we trust Jesus with the results because Jesus is going to accomplish his purposes through those that he sends. The results are not up to us. The obedience in faith is what's on us. So a few points of application I want to give you as we get ready to close here. I want to encourage you to identify at least one other person in your life, maybe somebody from your MC, or th maybe this is, this is uh, an undertaking for uh, uh, the entirety of an MC. But I want you to identify another person in your life that you can enter into what I'm going to call here missional accountability with. Someone you're intentional to talk about and to pray for those who God has put in your life who need Jesus. Oftentimes, we, we're together as believers, and we're talking about what's going on in our life, and we, we have people in mind that, we, that we're trying to reach. Maybe we're building relationships with. Maybe we're even articulating, sharing, verbalizing the gospel with. But, we, but nobody else in our life knows about that. None of our other brothers and sisters in the faith know about that. Well, I want you to identify at least one person. Maybe open it up to your whole MC. If you're not plugged into an MC, 
Come see me. That, that's, I'm the MC guy, so come see me. I want to get you connected. But I want you to, to begin to enter into missional accountability so that, so that you're, you're talking with, you're talking about and praying with others about those you want to see come to know Jesus Christ. Several months ago, Pastor Andrew described five different networks of people that are already in our lives. If you don't remember them, I'm going to give it to you right now. First, there's our familial network. Family and friends. The, the, maybe, maybe you have family that's far away, uh, but you've got some really close friends here in the city of Seattle. Maybe some of them are believers. Some of them are not. But they're, they're people that when you think about family here being far away from family, these are the folks that come to mind. Maybe some of them need to know Jesus. Who in your familial network needs to know Christ? We have, secondly, our vocational network. People that we work with or go to school with. These are relationships that we're engaging in all the time, perhaps sometimes yielding opportunity to share the gospel, to, to enter into spiritual conversation, but sometimes maybe it's right over our head until you hear, man, think about the people in your vocational network that need to hear Jesus, need to, need to know Jesus, need to hear about Jesus. Thirdly, there's our commercial network. Uh, people that we, that we frequently see in the businesses that we frequent, whether it's other customers, uh, loyal customers of the coffee shop that we're a loyal customer of, or the barista, or uh, the place you go get your hair did, or your nails done, all these different things. Who are the people that you normally interact with that maybe they're not family, maybe you don't work with them or go to school with them, but you have a chance to interact with them on a regular basis because you're in in their businesses. You're in their establishment. They are servicing you, servicing your life. Fourthly, our, our geographical network. This is our neighborhood and our neighbors. Uh, one of the joys of, um, I don't know, I guess being married, because I was in the city of Seattle for a year before I got married, but it's, be, it's being able to see how many new relationships open up just just because I'm married. And then on top of that, like we're expecting a kid. And so like everybody wants to talk to you. Everybody wants to know how, how it's going and how soon and is she ready to pop? Is it going to be any day now? A lot of these folks are our neighbors. And it's cool to build relationships with them, to invite them into our home. Uh, we had the opportunity to do this uh, a couple of months ago, invite one of our neighbors across the hall. And uh, she's only lived in the building. She's an older lady. Uh, she's only lived there for about three years. Well, all of our neighbors are really older people, actually. Um, but she said as long as she's been there, she had never been inside another person in our building's uh, apartment for any reason, really. So we were able to engage our neighbor, to invite her in, to, to include her in our life. Who are those in your geographical network, in your neighborhood, who need to hear about Jesus? And then lastly, our recreational network. It's what I like to call our passions or our hobbies. Those things that you love to do that maybe you're not doing it with anybody in your family, Maybe you're not doing with anybody you work with. Maybe you're not doing these things with anybody that you see at the coffee shop or in the neighborhood. But these are people that you, that you hike with, that you run with, that you bike with, that you rock climb with. Whatever the case it is, whatever your hobby or your passion is, you work out with, you go running with. Who are those people in that relational network that need to hear about Christ? And as we enter into missional accountability... Let's be praying and talking about these people. And I would even say going the extra step to invite, and to invite that person that you're in missional accountability with to engage some of these people with you. 
It's amazing the kind of confidence we have when we have somebody on our side when we're having a conversation, an important conversation. So as you enter to missional accountability, be praying about and talking about the people that God has already put in your life that need to know Christ. And secondly, I just say, be prepared to articulate or share the gospel with them in a way that connects to their situation. Like being in relationship with people, get to know them, get to know their story, get as much as, as is possible through the context of whatever the context of the relationship is, get to know their story, get to know their struggles, so that as we, as we articulate, as we verbalize the gospel message, we can, we can tell them, share with them how the gospel applies to them. That it's not just something for, for people who have grown up in church. Man, I, yeah, I grew up in the church, but I had a lot of issues that the gospel spoke to that would have been necessary to be spoken to had I not ever been in the church. So learn people's story and be prepared to articulate or share the gospel with them. And with that in mind, knowing that we talk about the importance of sharing the gospel as we have in this, in this passage, in this message tonight, uh, there are many of us that, that want to do that, but maybe feel, I don't exactly know how to do that. I know the gospel deals with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that he's coming back again, that yes, that he died for sins, that that we can trust him and he takes our sins away. I I know all the facts about the gospel, but is that exactly what I share with someone when I'm verbalizing the gospel with them? Some of us are at a loss at actually what to say. We've got people in our lives. We're praying for them. Maybe we're talking to other people about them. We're, We're really developing those relationships so that we can share the gospel with them. But maybe the hang up is, man, I just don't know what to say when I have the opportunity. Well, in light of that, because Ephesians 4 tells us that Christ has given gifts to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This is something that we as leadership have been talking about. And so I'd like to invite you to mark your calendars for July 16th. It's a Saturday morning. We're working out the final details, but we want to offer a practical training time in which we will equip the church with how to simply and clearly verbalize the gospel. We want to see that happen. We want to see all of us coming to gather here on Sundays rejoicing because we have stories of how we have engaged people who have been in our life for a short period or a long time, but we've been able to verbalize the gospel. And either either they rejected us because we were clear with the gospel message and they understood the implications. Essentially, man, if I'm going to believe this, what, what you're telling me is that I'm wrong, that I've been wrong all my life. That choosing my way has led me into brokenness and, and Jesus is the only way out? Man, I, I, don't, I don't want that. Maybe we've articulated the gospel clearly enough that people understand it and they're able to know what they're rejecting. But on the reverse of that, maybe we're able to articulate the gospel clearly enough that as the Spirit is at work in hearts, preparing that soul, that soul is ripe to receive, receive the seed of the word. The gospel is clear and begins to take root, and begins to bear fruit. We want to be intentional to be proclaiming the gospel message. And that's what the passage says, ultimately, the disciples went out and did. After they got all of these instructions, it says, ah, here we go. It says, they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. 
As they obeyed Jesus, as they went out, they proclaimed, and Jesus ultimately accomplished his purposes through them. And that's what Jesus wants from us. He wants us to, to willingly submit to him with faith and obedience. And we get to, to participate in his kingdom advancing work. The city of Seattle knows no joy like the joy that is to be found in Jesus Christ. We know, we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. If we would only release it, if we would only proclaim it, others would come to know the joy that we found in Jesus. So I want to admonish you in these things tonight. So we continue to consider how Jesus sends those that he calls. He's called each and every one of us, and he's sending us out. Let's be intentional to engage those around us with the gospel message for the glory of Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Father, we're grateful uh, that you have called us to yourself through your son, through the, the work accomplished on the cross. We have embraced the word of truth, the word that choosing our way has led to brokenness and ultimately to death. And the only way out, the only solution is Jesus. And how Jesus came and willingly submitted himself to your will, Father, even to the very point of death, death on a cross, and dying for sins, dying in our place, and rising to life again on the third day, placing our hope and our trust in him, we too can now walk in newness of life. We can pursue your original design, your desire for our lives. For those of us who have trusted in that, you have given us a new identity as ambassadors. We want to be faithful. We want to be diligent to love you, the Lord our God, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Somebody would care enough about us to share the good news of Jesus, and that would be ready and willing to do the same for our neighbors. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word, and thank you for the work that you're accomplishing in our hearts through it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.